0: Welcome to episode one of season two of Expanding Beyond, (laughs) or maybe episode 51, depending on how we're going to count it. How are you doing, Monica?
1: I'm doing quite well. I'll tell you guys a little bit more uh, over uh, over the episode, but um, I had time to, as I said, I was quitting, right? So I had time for uh, resting, I had time for um, finding another job. Now, uh, finally, (laughs) apparently, summer is uh, coming, a month (laughs) left to spring. Like until a couple of days ago, it was, yeah, mild temperatures, but not that much sun shining. So that was not ideal. So now I'm happy because it's been nice.
0: Yeah, we've come out of hibernation again. Yes.
1: I, I actually cheated and, and went for uh, a long weekend in Valencia. So I did it a little bit earlier, getting out of hibernation. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you tried to, but it was only in the north of Italy and it was warmer, but not super warm Yeah, at <laughs> Easter. And how about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, being not, not being sick after two weeks is nice. <laughs> and <laughs> yes sort of the, the sunshine helps too and I'm slowly slowly getting out of out of work ways out of whatever was happening we can talk mm. about that later I think yeah. the last time we uh, released an episode the company had just been bought and now yes. it's slowly I'm, we're slowly getting somewhere I think <laughs> 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 only six months and I don't know another six months
1: it takes time until we know or something takes time. It's uh, a, yeah, let's talk about it later, but I mean, you have to think it's the gigantic merge of cultures and, uh, and uh, habits and uh, personal preferences and people. It's uh, a, it is a complex operation. Okay. So
0: where do we start?
1: I don't know. I would start with uh, acknowledging the fact that it has been six months, as you said, Uh, Our last episode, I checked, is on the 20th of December. So it's basically (laughs) really six months. (laughs) Well, five. But we're back. We're back. And I'm happy about that uh, because I actually missed our chats. Uh, I mean, we had the chance to meet. And of course, every now and then we uh, talk to each other over Telegram. But, you know, like... Yeah, it's not the same, yeah it's not the same <laughs> well then let's start with what i said like uh, i would uh, i would talk a little bit about this later in the sense that uh, what happened till december uh, so i uh, did my couple of weeks off uh, like really really off i traveled abroad and that was great because there's always that moment where you really unplug You know, like your habits are completely thrown off. Uh, You don't have that much connection because it's even like so such a different time zone. So that's uh, that's also good. And then I came back and I spent another couple of weeks just chilling in my house because I knew that I uh, had uh, found another job (laughs) and it's exactly what I wanted. Uh, Remember how I told everyone uh, back then, I was like, yeah, I was expecting to go to a smaller company, a smaller team, be more hands-on, and that actually didn't happen. Well, now it happened. Um, (laughs) Because I joined a company that it's, um, at the moment, six people, me included. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's teeny, teeny, tiny. And uh, we are coming up with our product right now, I was able to witness a pivot and how fast a company this small can pivot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I joined on the 1st of February and basically by the end of February, we were like, nah, nah, that's not going to cut it. Let's, let's change it. And we did. And uh, another couple of weeks passed and we were like, nah, that's not going to cut it. Let's change (laughs) it. so uh, that has been basically what I've been doing like I have this fancy title you know head of engineering um, but it's like two engineers plus me (laughs) so it's uh, it has been a bit of a challenge because um, it's a completely different setup from what I'm used to I am super close to everything that happens Uh, like literally the CEO is one reporting line away. Literally, he is my boss. So, mm. (laughs) you know, like there's not that much of bureaucracy. Uh, It's it's nice to be back to, yeah, yeah. Like consider your holidays approved, even if they're not approved on the tools. Like (laughs) who cares? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to switch this day with this other day. Yeah, that's fine. Go for it. No problem. (laughs) Ciao. See you next week. Yeah. Um, it has been a bit of a challenge because, uh, it's, uh, you know, like I'm used to work in such a focused way. I mean, I'm focused, but you guys get what I mean in such a focused way. Like, okay, we need to get this out of the, out of the door. There's, uh, the next deadline. And what about, uh, the next trimester or whatever? It's like, so it's bam, bam, bam. What's the end of the spring? couple of weeks what's the goal again bam 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 when are we gonna release this so it it's it's very fast-paced and everybody was like oh you're joining a startup it's gonna be crazy and I'm like it's not it's really not. <laughs> it's like yes we can be very fast as I said like we did two pivots in a month and a half but it's not exhausting it's not tiring it's not There's a lot of structure that is missing and therefore everything feels so light. It's almost exhilarating sometimes.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so Um, everything you're saying, you can sort of, um, I don't know, take the opposite and that's where I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so um, as mentioned in the previous episode back then sort of my my company got bought uh by well not really a competitor but someone in the broader area who thought hey that that would sort of fit into our portfolio of projects of of products pretty well Mm -hmm. so we went from a 200 roughly 200 people company to well almost an order of magnitude bigger wow um wow so that was that was the one thing and it's not like and ended sort of a completely different different way of working as well i would say on mm-hmm. on the one hand so what we had been doing we've built, we've built a saas application essentially and yes we sold it to business but we didn't sell it to the really really biggest companies in the world mm-hmm. but this company they are actually having the biggest company companies in the world as their customers so that is also something that's different because then you're talking about really huge sums of money. And I guess this is also where it comes from that there's just much more custom work. Yeah. So in our SaaS business, in that part, we sort of, in the beginning, yes, as a startup, you have to make your custom first customer stay. So you do stuff, mm-hmm. but then you sort of scale down on the custom work and say, hey, this is what we offer, buy it or go somewhere else. And we'll have to see how that sort of works when we are now sort of going back into that direction because there's so much money on the table that it's yeah. probably would be a bit stupid to sort of reject that. And then that company is also sort of, we are not the first acquisition. It's still single digits <laughs> in terms of yeah. acquisitions, but there's been a That's few. True. So over the years, there's many different programming languages, many different teams in many different parts of the world. And it's sort of still somewhat disjointed so it's mm. it's a bit hard to understand who does what and why why what their 10 year old project looks like and how it started and stuff like that so it's like stuff of course takes longer because you have such so many people yes but then you have so many different ways of working as well right mm-hmm. so then it becomes really a, sort of a patchwork process in everything essentially right Yes, and then we come in with our shiny SaaS application and we deploy every day on our fancy Docker containers. and then you come to somewhere where it's hosted in the customers on the customers' servers, which are Windows machines, and there's no <laughs> no deployments happening often, right? You deploy once a month, and that's great already, and stuff like that. So it's a bit of a clash of cultures there, I think
1: absolutely. Can imagine. I mean, that's why I went, wow, when you said, you know, like we went from 200 to 2000, because it's it's such a it's such a complex, a much more complex organization to manage. And if you compare like I've seen it twice, right, like going from 60 to 200 people, you can already tell that, you know, like you lose uh, detail you lose connectedness with others you lose yeah. information you have to become structured because as humans we're not made to work this way so you have to put a lot of effort to avoid entropy to just you know fill your system
0: yay Gantt charts <laughs> yeah
1: exactly right uh, I mean there there are some things that I I'm still not convinced they are the right way to go because uh, software development is inherently different than than manufacturing but it i have been on the other side of of the of the table and you do need even just as a as a mental as a, as a mind exercise you have to do that exercise of like okay if i walk backwards uh, what can I fit into this time frame, right? <laughs> like-
0: yeah, it becomes sort of that part becomes really hard. And as you mm-hmm. said, the connectedness is also. So that is what I struggled with to sort of put a face to this sort of faceless organization and try to yeah. to understand how it all works. So, I mean, even back in, in the old company, I started to reach out to my fellow developers to sort of get to know them because we were all remote anyway. And even then it was a bit mm. harder to get to know them. Um, but here it was like there was zero overlaps with other teams doing other projects. And then I sort of found my the VP of my, my area and said to him, hey, who can I talk to in your organization? And it was really nice to get, to, to get the sort of essentially the same things I struggled with from companies that had been acquired a few years back, right? So it was, it was nice to know that everyone's in the same boat, so to speak, to sort of get this, this, this human connection mm. somehow to, to get it back.
1: Another thing I was reflecting on now that you were saying about this, that you were talking about this, was it's definitely being fully remote doesn't help, let's <laughs> put it this way bigger organizations, it's not impossible. I mean, there's companies like Microsoft that has, what, like 20,000 employees. It's not impossible to manage such a big organization. But what I was reading back then was that basically the organization then within splits into subcultures and, and subgroups that are manageable and where you have as a human you still have the chance to have some influence in in that in that space
0: yeah that uh, that's what i'm seeing too right you have mm-hmm. my vp he has the certain projects under his wing essentially and i sort of can by now more or less see what's going on there yeah but then there's the rest of the company right and i have literally no idea what's happening in these parts yeah so for better or worse this is kind of what's happening here as well i mean they are actually closing offices right because essentially no one's coming to the office anymore <laughs> yes <laughs> so why should they spend uh, all that money on 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 office space but yeah i don't know we'll have mm-hmm. to see how that works out when it, it, it's, it sort of seems to me that even though many companies have been bought and are in theory one company you, you sort of everyone's still in their circle of their their acquisition bubble. Yes. I don't know.
1: I wonder if it's something that it's inevitable. You know, like when we started talking in pre-recording, I was like, it it, it has to be expected to some extent. Like it is an operation. Like these are. It, it's kind of like two galaxies that are clashing into each other, and it takes time for them to become one. Right. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I mean. That's a positive way <laughs> of spinning it. I would say it would take a lot of effort to actually make them into one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that effort is being spent here. So <laughs> I, I assume that's why there's still so many small uh, groups of of, of people. Mm. Because um, I mean, ma- managing such a big, big company, um, I would expect it to take more people than they are currently here, but... I guess mm-hmm. I shouldn't say more. <laughs> At least not <laughs> publicly.
1: Not publicly, so we can talk about it later in secret. Again, um, what you say resonates with me because I was also thinking about the time in which, I mean, in in my last job, I didn't had that much this feeling when the company was expanding because I wasn't there for a very long time. I like I knew that there were parts of the organization that, despite it being like, what, 230 people, something like this. So it's not humongous, but there were part of the organizations that I was I wasn't able to, uh, to reach unless I was reaching for it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't need to do it because it was in the different geography, it was different market. So, eh I, I I don't really care, but when uh, it happened that uh the job before that, it's like I was there when the company I joined when the company was like 80 similar to Kaya and then I left when it was similar to Kaya in size again like 220 something like this, but I was because I stayed in the company for longer, I was there air quotes since the beginning. I was really part of the, you know, of the foundation. Bear with me, guys who were likes before me, but you know what I mean. So when the company started to get bigger and we had a higher influx of people coming from outside with different mindsets, with different ideas and so on, I was subconsciously trying to keep the same level of connectedness that I had with the rest of the org. And it basically brought me to burnout because I wasn't able, like I had to build up all these relationships that I, that there they were too many, too many, too fast. So uh, what I'm trying to say here is that I experienced that at that size. So trying to do that with a 2000 companies and I know we shouldn't say crazy, but sorry, <laughs> habit.
0: Yeah. Let's see how it goes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for, I don't know, one person, I don't know, every two weeks or something. Mm -hmm. And then I spend half an hour or sometimes one and a half hours, depending on the person, uh, talking to them about what we are doing and what they are doing and stuff like that. So I think there's already uh, enough for me to sort of feel a bit more connected with the rest Mm. of the company. Oh, and and sort of sidebar, you mentioned that software development is different from other industries. Um, And I recently found this nice uh, video Mm -hmm. called Why Construction Projects Always Go Over Budget. Um, So this is a a real sort of, I don't know, uh, civil engineer. I think Mm -hmm. that's the correct uh, term. And he basically brings up all the same points we ever have yes in our industry and it's always the same <laughs> i don't so.
1: remember where i read about this but there was someone actually saying exactly the same thing from an end from a software engineering perspective it was like we think that other engine are other kind of engineering are you know like they are able to better predict the outcome of their work but we just assume that Because we don't know about that kind of engineering, (laughs) (laughs) but believe me, that's not true. Um, So I'm totally going to watch that one. Any particular, I don't know, something that was fun or a highlight?
0: It's been a while, so I don't remember the details Mm -hmm. anymore. But I thought, yeah, basically in almost all points uh, he mentioned, I thought, yes, I can totally relate to that. So, yeah. Like I said, it's like, there are many similarities and Mm. and it's just, it's just, estimation is just very hard in general, irrespective of what you're doing. Absolutely. Oh yeah. The big one for me was, um, communication, (laughs) right? It's also hard. You need to organize stuff and stuff like that. So yeah. That's all I to say.
1: So I recently had a conversation on this in uh, one of my, uh, f- it's not exactly a meetup. It's just a call that every now and then I'm having with other guys from the Italian Ruby community that are interested in uh, in leadership and uh, management. So we just show up every now and then and we hang out. And um, this one guy uh, was telling me, it's like, you know, like I'm having this issue is like, people want to have uh, like they take estimations that we do for our team and then they bring them outside and then i we get scolded because you know like, it wasn't exact i was like that's an <laughs> estimation motherfucker <laughs> like yes exactly it is an estimation and this is what people don't at this point you know what i don't think that people don't understand i think that people do understand like if you if you really point that out to them as that that is an estimation, they do acknowledge the fact that, yeah, of course you can't foresee the future, right? But it's still so, like humans don't like uncertainty. They don't like that at all. It's like, it's really something that goes against our very fiber. We're looking for certainty in everything that surrounds us. Uh, We look for certainty, like look at weather forecast or uh, gonna upset someone. And I'm sorry for that, but religion. Um, (laughs) Believe me, guys, I'm not joking in the sense that I know I'm gonna upset someone, but that's my personal opinion. So (laughs) we do look for things that make our life less scary. That's that's also what makes people now more prone to believe unbelievable things because the system we live in is extremely complex. And therefore, it's like, I don't understand it. So I'm looking for things that I can recognize and I can understand, even if by looking at them from a logical, scientific, mathematical perspective, it doesn't make any. So, There's always going to be this issue. What I told this person was, you know, like, I don't think that those numbers should get out of the team. That's not fair. Like, that's a way for the team to understand how close they are to really understanding themselves as a group of professionals. What can we deliver roundabout in this time? It connects back to what I realized talking with a friend of mine recently, she is still at PM at Freeletics and she was telling me, I was like, oh, we're going to do this and that. And I was like, how long can it take? And I'm, even if I'm not there, I haven't worked there for like three years now. I was like, how much can it be like three days? It's like, that's the scale. I can tell you that it's not going to take three weeks, but it's going to take maybe a week if it's very late. Mm-hmm. Right. Like with all things considered, meetings and pull requests uh, and reviews and deploying and bugs and whatnot. Why? Because I know that system very well. The more I work with a specific system, the more I know it and I can predict that with a good level of confidence what is what the system is going to is how the system is going to behave the more time i spend away from it be it in the future or in the past <laughs> uh, the less i can be precise about the system because i do not know the system and it, again it's kind of obvious when you say it that way but it's always hard for people to you know like take that step back and and, and realize what they're asking for you are asking for precision when is physically and i mean physical as in the science physics (laughs) tells me it's impossible to tell you that
0: yeah i wonder i wonder though if the other problem is isn't that we are sort of they ask for that estimate and we give them and then we never give them an update right
1: that's another very good point because
0: you give an estimate and as long as you don't provide an update and say hey it's going to be later mm-hmm. they're gonna assume it's fine right yeah like, w- as as a developer myself i can tell you i give you an estimate and then i never think about it again mm-hmm. and i guess that's <laughs> that may might even be the bigger disconnect here to say hey sort that's of that a very that's what point. my comp- the new uh, sphere is actually fairly good at they say hey we are not interested in in sort of deadlines and keeping them mm-hmm. we just always want to be updated on where we are so that we can know as early as possible if stuff is going to be late or not.
1: I I think that's a very mature uh, way of uh, managing a a team or a software company makes a lot of sense. It's, It's important to give, going back to communication, right? Like it's important to make sure that people, because you know, like the important part of all of this is being able to react. So if we're going to be late on something, and we are going to be late, uh, if we're going to be late on something, (laughs) it's important for the rest of the organization to know because there are budgets to be changed. There's going to be... marketing campaigns to be postponed or to be um if something happens miraculously that it's uh, said it happens earlier uh that like the date has to be to change or we need to update a, a third party or things like that so like you need to give the system around you the ability to to react otherwise it's just a piece of information what I think it's important by the way it's also to be able to reflect on those numbers as a team again because that's the only way you can understand yourself better as a team so this this person I was talking to uh, he had exactly this grudge with uh the concept of you know like estimating things it's like I don't mind estimating but I would like to do something with these numbers because if we never go back and look, it, and it's not only like that we are late, but why we believed we would be earlier. Why we thought that this was easier, what we believed, or it actually took longer. Uh, it, uh, takes We believed it would take longer. And instead it took only two, two weeks uh, instead of three months. It's like, what's going on there? And then you inform your next iteration better. I don't know about, I don't know if it says it in release it, but um, there is, um, I did some research some time ago about, you know, like how to, uh, how to get better at estimates. And the only thing that apparently works from a scientific perspective is that of, you know, like exactly observing the iterations that you go through as a team, basically it's a, it's a simulation air quotes again, um, that you're carrying through and uh, you're collecting data points and then you statistically you can project. So it was, uh, maybe I can find that article somewhere. I, I should have, I, I'm pretty confident that I stored it somewhere.
0: I mean, the question then is how, but then the company would also need to value this mm-hmm. enough for you to spend the time on going back all the time. Right? Yes. And this is sort of always the the question, yes, we want the correct estimates, but it's not important enough to actually spend enough time on it to actually get good at it, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And that's where I see a little bit of disconnect that I would like, especially people on the business side to acknowledge. like So a perfect prediction means that from a mathematical perspective, you are so close to reality, the now, that it's pointless to go above a certain level of precision. On the other hand, to increase that level of precision over time, you would need to do this, you know, like simulations, data gathering, and a bunch of other things. That takes time. And where is the actual value in becoming more and more precise beyond a certain level? Again, it's not that useful. So fixating on being precise to the day
0: yeah let's rather um i don't know charge the customer more and then it falls within the boundaries right yes
1: there. <laughs> yeah there's uh yeah i always forget about business to business and i work in business to business guess what uh, <laughs> speaking of the second point i was having here uh, was that everything i know is useless You know, like all this conversation we just had completely useless in my case because the company is so small and we're at such a phase that I had this realization basically a month ago. It's like Everything that I know or that I learned over the last, let's say, five years is about how to make a system more efficient. And right now I'm working in an environment where there is no point in being efficient because we are not... We're basically our second customer and we're talking about making this thing manually. So we're validating, like we're in a phase in which we need to validate the idea. So there's no Mm -hmm. point in building many things. So we're just going through the moves as if this was a machine, but like... Two-thirds of our process is literally manual. And um, yes, I can make that more efficient, but (laughs) right now it's not very efficient. (laughs) And it doesn't make sense to make it more efficient because we don't know if the idea is valid. So does it even make sense to have that code in there? And it was a painful realization because what it means is that what I'm good at right now, eh, no
0: value. Yeah, I guess that there's different phases in in whatever company you are in. Yeah, that sort of are radically different. I mean, for me, maybe in my day to day work, it's not radically different, but it is still quite a different thing and quite a few different forces that are happening. Like in a big company, you want to standardize on certain things, right? And then you end up with I don't know Azure DevOps instead of Jira. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And possibly, now, I don't think we end up with Windows Server for our stuff. That seems a bit far-fetched, but uh, I could see a point a uh, world where that, that uh, would make sense for the company as a whole, right? Yeah.
1: Are you planning to move to a different technology stack?
0: No, it's sort of, there's many technology stacks in this company. and I think mm. every team is sort of staying with what they've done. I think we have .NET, we have Java, we probably have some PHP, and uh, we have our Ruby on Rails and mm-hmm. JavaScript and TypeScript stuff. And yeah.
1: How does the the infrastructure team work? Like every, every subculture, let's say, has their own DevOps or...
0: So I don't know entirely because our stuff is still pretty separate. Mm-hmm. But I believe there's still a lot of manual work in infrastructure going on. Because I think, I mean, we do, I don't know, daily automatic deployments. And Mm -hmm. for other teams, it's like uh, they deploy once a month after two weeks of manual testing to the server of the customer. So it's very much a manual process. Yes. And then they don't have, I don't know, Zero downtime deployments, but instead they deploy on a Saturday when mm-hmm. no one's working or machines randomly crash because it's Windows and they don't, then the site is down because there's no failover. So I don't know. I think it's all all a bit, I, I believe they. I, everyone I talk to says, yes, it's great what you're doing. At some point, we will get there. But at this point, it's still, I, I'm sort of a hodgepodge when- of. Various things, yeah.
1: I mean, again, it depends also if you need it. Like if you don't need it, don't do it.
0: Yeah, it's always a hard It's a hard thing, right? Mm. I mean, these days, maybe uh, us developers don't have as much uh, sway anymore as we had, I don't know, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. But this is sort of, at least from my point of view, the question is how far behind sort of current industry practices can you go before you lose the good people, right? Yeah. It's always a fine line. And then the question is, are they even industry standards, or it's just I'm accustomed to building web apps in a SaaS business environment, and that's all I've known. Hmm. And it's just a tiny bit of the whole industry, and everyone works differently, and it works too, right? So that's, that's always also a, good, the question. a good question. <laughs> because I totally wondered why people would deploy stuff on Windows Service, but then if you have stuff running on your customers machines in their data center then it becomes much more understandable yeah right and then there's completely different forces and yeah i don't know
1: no that makes a lot of
0: sense it's very really easy to say hey what kind of stupid stim- thing is happening here but it normally isn't that way right it's just yeah there's other stuff going on that i mean i i found out a lot of that stuff when i started talking to other developers from other teams and found out what they are doing and what's what's going on there and then it's sort of that's to make sense
1: you know approaching things with curiosity
0: yeah after uh, long enough being grumpy about it i thought <laughs> maybe i should just talk to the other let people me go and, figure and check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah seems like the smarter move
1: it is it is you know like it reminds me of that one time in which i told the ceo on my exit interview it was like you know it's not like people wake up in the morning and they're like uh, today I'm going to fail. And here is the same. It's like, oh, today I'm going to be in a lot of pain. Uh, <laughs> no, people don't do things necessarily on a whim. There's usually a reason. You might not agree with that reason, but uh, the world is so weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and complex.
1: I was about to say complex, but then I thought it was like, yeah, it's also weird. <laughs> and probably it's more weird than complex. <laughs> Yeah. So what have you been reading lately?
0: So the last tech book I've read was Release It. Uh, mm-hmm. basically because you recommended it and yes. I finished it a while ago.
1: You're a much better
0: student than I am. <laughs> well, I, I, I sort of there there were slumps where I thought, okay, that doesn't necessarily apply to what I'm doing. But yeah. As a whole, I think I've I've learned a few interesting things from that book. O- obviously the more books you read, the less uh, really new things you are yes, um, discovering. But yeah, I think uh, it's a solid recommendation. And some things uh, you would imagine, or at least when you're reading it, they sound a bit very old school. But then working here, I'm not sure this <laughs> is even true. You know? <laughs> There's a lot of old code out there, I guess.
1: You live on the edge, my friend. Most of the industry is not that advanced.
0: Yeah, that's also something I noticed. Yeah. What because we've been doing is really, really um I mean, even the language, right? Even Ruby mm-hmm. and, and Ruby on Rails and stuff like that is already it's all niche.
1: What I'm thinking is like we are so immersed because we were at some point on the on the cutting edge, uh, we are so used to um look forward. So look at companies like Netflix and back then it was Twitter and now it was Uber and so on. That we immediately think that that's how the whole world runs, but it doesn't. Most of the world is small to medium to even big companies, businesses that they are not developing the most funny and um, uh, modern SaaS. Speaking of. Yeah, uh, they're
0: running 80% of their stuff on SAP, probably.
1: Right? <laughs> um, I was like, I one of my aunts, she is an SAP. She was. Uh, now she's doing something slightly different, but she was an SAP consultant. So many, so many. She was always running around from one customer to another. It's like, there are so many companies that are using those kind of solutions. And... Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not uh it's not that fancy, but it is how the world runs actually. There aren't that many Googles out there. On my uh reading list, I've been uh reading and I'm actually halfway through this uh Engineering Management for the Rest of Us by Sarah Dresner. And um I wasn't sure if I had to like if I wanted to buy it at first because I was like, yeah, I'm like It's been three years now. Do I need another book on engineering management? But I decided to buy it anyways, because what I was reading until now wasn't really... It was always something that was off. Like, for example, I read The Manager's Path. I read it twice, cover to cover. And then I read it here and there bits and pieces uh, Mm -hmm. multiple times. Very concise. Not that many examples not very practical in the sense like really tries to summarize the whole career that you can have as a manager in uh, in an engineering department. There's this other one from uh, Will Larson that I can't remember now, title, I'll find it. And that one is a little bit more practical, but because it's only in ebook and it's basically a polished version of his blog, not that cohesive, let's say. This one, I think it has, it's very well positioned in between these two. It can be very practical. It's, it can be concise. It gives you clear examples. It reminds me a little bit of Radical Candor. Like you, you know, like you have this very discursive way of writing. It's very conversational, Mm-hmm. But it has every now and then, it has this couple of sentences that really condense the concept of the of the chapter. And then it gives you practical example. And this is how I do it, uh, how I did it. So, so far, I found it uh, quite interesting. I, I cannot really say that I learned something new so far, but I'm halfway through. It's also not very, compared to the manager's path, really focuses on you as a line manager, as an engineering manager. So mm-hmm. not thinking about when you're going to be a CTO and when you're going to be this or that. Uh, so very on point. So also I would recommend that even if you're curious about understanding what's going through your boss head, go for it. Not, not in your case, Urban. You were an engineering <laughs> manager too. So you Yeah, I that. tried
0: it. It's good <laughs> enough. Good enough. One year is enough to get the idea at least as far as knowing that it's not for me yes and then i'm happy that i have my manager as my manager and him doing the stuff oh
1: an elegant puzzle thank you yes that one <laughs> and before we go though we had a question right
0: yes we had a question from from a friend of mine from eric sorry eric that it took so long for us to uh, <laughs> get to it my fault yeah and mine I, I
1: got carried away.
0: Right. So the question: Anyone know of any good resources on what to do about a product when the team that built it disbands, but the product is expected to live on?
1: And when Urban read me this, I was like, "This is a brilliant question. It's a very good question." Uh, anything top of your mind, Urban?
0: Um, not in terms of resources, uh, just about anecdotes of what happens. Mm. <laughs> because, I mean, in the end, it's like um, maintenance is the thing, right? If you don't continue maintain spending some yeah. time of type of effort on it to sort of may, um, keep the thing running, keep dependencies up to date, I don't know, keep some kind of knowledge within the company. And then uh, when you actually get to it and you need to work on it, then you need to ramp up from zero again, right? And it, that's just expensive. So either you accept it as it is and say, hey, whenever we need to work on it, we have to expect that it's going to be quite the effort or we actually make this the responsibility of some kind of team mm-hmm. and they have to, well, I guess they actually have to work on it regularly to sort of get some knowledge about it and to sort of keep it running along. So my, the, my, the shortest time for me for a project between putting it in maintenance mode and something breaking <laughs> was three weeks. <laughs> so sometimes that actually happens pretty fast it's just, I think there's just no way around it. Sort of going back to, I don't know, construction, there's the same thing, right? Maintenance. If if you do a little maintenance on your house all the time, then you don't have to spend the big bucks in a few years to, I don't know, replace something expensive, right?
1: Yeah. I do have a question that goes a little bit uh, one step back. And in this case, my question would be, is this a product that is supposed to be maintained? Or is it a product that you're supposed to be developed? Because those are two very different cases. So first glance, when I read the, the question, I thought about a maintenance phase. So the product is done. We disband the team. In that case, I I what what I told you before when, when we started the recording is like the very bare, bare minimum, in my opinion, is that of making sure that this product is owned by someone, mm-hmm. that it's yeah. not like orphaned. And this doesn't necessarily mean that the product is actively developed, but if something breaks or if something changes in another in another part of the system, then uh, you need to adapt this product to, uh, to the new reality. Uh, let's imagine it's a standalone product. So it's not a service, it's not nothing. It, it's literally a whole product. And uh, at some point, a third party changes their uh, APIs and the API version that you're using is deprecated. What do you do? Who, Who does that? Like, if you don't have clear ownership, Uh, of this product, then it will be a huge fight about uh, who does what and why do we have to do it? And, uh, but why that team? And and it takes a lot of time to get to a conclusion usually about who does what. And then you have the additional time of people that have to get familiar with the product because they don't know, they have never worked with it, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, this is an extreme case, let's say. Um, But, Frankly, it happened to me at least a couple of times where we had. Yeah,
0: yeah I was gonna say this is right? not an extreme case. That's like day to day. Exactly, it's not that extreme. Yeah,
1: like for example, it reminds me of you know like the the we had this uh, we called that payment system. It wasn't really for paying, but it was for giving people access to the product. At some point, the the team that was created to build it disbanded. Like who owns it? So there were two or three people, me included, that had the most knowledge about it. So we kind of owned it, even if it was basically stable. But at some point, there was someone that was asking about, uh, oh, can we change slightly this functionality? Or uh, there's a new field uh, that Apple has added to their subscription um, APIs. So we need to also process that and blah, blah, blah. So. That way, it was to some extent clear uh, who had the ownership and who was supposed to maintain it. But then I left and there was not really that big of an ownership at that point. And then it's like, oh, there, are people has, you know, like disbanded old. Um, sorry, not disbanded, but you get what I mean. I was, um, discontinued discontinued thank you uh their um uh, this version of their api and you need to change it uh, so we need to to, to change it and uh, what do you do yeah. you have to there was a huge discussion blah 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 and it was so close to the deadline that they changed it that was <laughs> very close so good resources i can look if I can find something
0: yeah yeah it was a good point about what what the question is even about right mm. you said that uh, you thought the one option would be that I don't know the thing is put in maintenance mode but sort of the other thing that could happen is that I don't know you have some external contractor build something for you mm-hmm. and then they hand it over to you ah that's a good point and how do you deal with that I'm not sure if it's much different mm. because you're still someone new needs to get to know the code and expect that there's some work to be done. Because I think the the, the biggest, big fallacy is always, hey, we, uh, this project is done, right? Because yes. it's never done. There's it's always never done, some done. work on some level that needs to happen.
1: And to some extent, I think that uh, software products are more comparable to cars, they are manufactured in a different way, but car is something that it's, it requires maintenance once it's out there. Like every, what, one year you have to have a yearly check-in, you have to change the tires, Uh, every X years or X thousand kilometers, you have to have, I don't know the English word for it, but you have to, you know, like take a deeper look at uh, how the this or that part of the engine is fairing and so on and so forth. That's basically it. Like you can't really say that a software product is done, done.
0: And then at some point it's just beyond repair.
1: <laughs> at that point. Yeah. I mean, there's piece of software that there since ages and it's essentially the same. Think about, I don't know, like the software that goes in DNS servers. I don't expect that to have changed that much or protocols, uh, very basic protocols, um, they're basically the same.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, again, just us. Maybe it's, again, just and us. And we don't yes. know how often times <laughs> this is being rewritten.
1: HTTP has been rewritten, yeah, that's true. Not TCPIP, I think.
0: Yeah, but then still we have the software that does this stuff, yes. right? And the question is, how old can that go?
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So,
0: we came up with nothing.
1: <laughs> we came up but with nothing.
0: Just, It's just right. some effort is always required.
1: I came across this metaphor not long ago, where the way product teams should be, um, uh, you can compare product teams to this three different squads in, in the army. You have the commandos and these are the people that are basically startups within companies like these are teams that do research. Basically, they go out there, they shape, you know, roughly the product, the feature, whatever. And then they can pass this on to what the example was suggesting to be the infantry. These are the people that come. And they actually make it work. Um, for this and that condition, they go for, you know, like the uh special cases for the corner cases, for uh um they they really develop it. And then there's a third, a third unit that it's the the example was using the term the police, um, because these are people that are patrolling the streets, and if there's something wrong, they're gonna try and fix it. Um <laughs> But it's not active development, right? Like you're not conquering a new territory. You're not infiltrating a new territory. Like the territory is established by now. Like we just have to make sure that things run smoothly. So if we're talking about maintenance in this case, that's what I would suggest. I never really liked the idea of having teams completely dedicated to that. Because it's easy then to um, for the other teams to just say, "Yeah, someone else will take care of it. Fuck it." But I think it also, again, uh, going back to the very early conversation, the very first conversation we had, it goes back to the um, size of the company you are in. The CTO of my former uh, my former company said something, I think it was very smart, and it was one of those moments in which I was like, ah, that's why, and he said, it's like your team, talking to me, is struggling so much right now because you are being asked to do everything at once, so you are asked on the forefront and do research and try to experiment and make sure that those things work, then you are asked to make it you know, like production ready and you're also asked to do maintenance after it. But these three things are very different phases in a project and require a different mindset. And you are constantly like, basically, sometimes day to day, you are jumping from one mindset to another. And that is a huge context switch for a team. It's really hard to be good at these three things together. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's... A completely different episode. Yes. probably another hour of talking about how to do that stuff. Yes. All right. So I think this was a nice start of season two, I guess, (laughs) if you want to call (laughs) it like that. Um, Where can people find you, Monica, on the internet?
1: So right now you can mostly find me on, I would say on LinkedIn, name, surname, that's it, nothing fancy, but I'm also on Mastodon as Nirnaeth. I'm not hanging out that much on social media lately. But you can find me also on my website, so monikag.me, and send me an email. So always happy to hear from you guys.
0: Great. What about you? Yeah, you can also find me on Mastodon and on LinkedIn. But same here, I've I've drastically reduced my time on social media, which has been nice for my neck because I'm not <laughs> holding phone anymore
1: yes <laughs> and
0: if you want to send us an email you can send us an email to i believe it what hosts at expanding beyond that is correct I remember that correctly <laughs> all right so it was really great talking to you again monica let's As not always. make it another six months
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> ah one place where you can find me physically Uh, Soon enough, it's going to be the Italian Ruby Day. On the 16th of June, we'll be in Verona for the annual get-together of the Italian Ruby community. Everybody's welcome because uh, the organizers have done an awesome job at internationalizing the conference. So we'll have people from uh, everywhere, really. All the talks are in English. You get to hang out with us and uh, with good food and nice weather. So join us
0: all right i was um, yeah i don't know i'm probably not coming although i would love to. i'm very disappointed yeah Yeah, i know (laughs) (laughs) maybe after two weeks of being sick i'm i'm sort of i'd rather not do anything actually you need to
1: rest Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but i can send you pictures
0: (laughs) and i believe uh you can also attend online right
1: yes yes that's true um, so everything will be streamed. Uh, so you can also buy an, uh, a ticket for just the online event. And um, we're going to take care of you all right, in a so. nice way. Not with guns.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's Italy, not the yeah. US, right? So.
1: <laughs> That's true. I actually found out that Italy is probably, I think it's the safest country in Europe. And if not, it's like one of the three most safe countries in Europe.
0: Especially the north, right?
1: <laughs> well but in general like we're actually quite chill <laughs> all right Just don't park in the wrong spot <laughs>
0: okay till so, next time see you next time bye 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 people